Welcome back to the Prof Your Knowledge podcast. Today we're talking about sales, one of my favorite topics, and I have a really good expert that I met and am bringing on to the show now. This is Justine Beauregard. She has been a sales coach and trainer since 2008, helping hundreds of small businesses and entrepreneurs increase their income by up to 2,300%. And best part is to have fun doing it. And we're gonna talk about how to make sales not feel icky and weird, which it can and it often does for a lot of people, especially when they're just kind of getting started. So we're talking about feel good selling and I'm really pumped about this because sales is an amazing thing when you learn how to approach it the right way. And that's what we're talking about today. So how are you doing today, Justine? Yeah, I'm doing well. Thank you so much for having me on the show, James. It's a pleasure to be here. Heck yeah. It's an honor on my end. Um, I would love to hear from you. Like what, what made you decide to one, be an entrepreneur and go into teaching stuff, um, online, I guess just like being an entrepreneur in general versus just kind of staying in the status quo. Um, and then on top of that, what made you ultimately get into sales and training sales? Yeah. So both were sort of intentional and not right. I like to call my business a happy accident. Um, I grew up, my maternal grandmother was a serial entrepreneur. She had five kids, multiple businesses. She was one of the founding members of women in electronics back in the day when everything was male dominated. And she kind of just stepped in and was like, no, I think women should have a voice here. And I just looked to her as such a role model. And then the dichotomy between seeing her thriving in her business with kids and then my mom being a single mom who had me young, she was married at 18, kids at 19 and 21, and sort of got sucked into that corporate loop of just like, we've got to provide, we've got to make money, our family comes first, you know, like your dreams kind of go on the back burner. And so I had this really interesting balance and part of me really craved that entrepreneurial life that my grandmother had. And then part of me was really rooted in the practicality of like, I need money today to fund my future. And so I balanced those for a while. I worked for a bunch of different startups. I was really drawn to the environment of a startup and the high energy and the movement and the learning, like the learning curve in a startup is so steep because you're thrown in. And I was one of 35 people working on a small team of, you know, two to five people at a time. And sort of creating my own role as a salesperson when I was hired as a full stack marketer, because that was where I got my degree in marketing, started out in marketing, really kind of made my way into these organizations, found out that their sales processes were really inauthentic and really like blueprint driven. And I just noticed so many opportunities. And as I talked to a lot of these people, I was like, hey, I have some ideas on how we could do things differently. And slowly but surely, every role I had in marketing became a sales liaison role. And I would sort of create my own title and move up and have these really unique opportunities to sit down with sales teams and talk to them about what could work better than what they were already doing. And then that led into sales training for a white label partner in the telecommunications industry for years. And I would travel three weeks out of the month and train thousands of people in a day on how to sell. And they would be getting 40, 50% increases in sales by the end of the day. Wow. And they were like, okay, this is really like a skill set that, you know, you've built. And I created a company around it. And here we are nine years after building my company and I'm still doing it and just really enjoying it. Cause I think 
there's an evolution of how we've sold too. Mm. And what worked in the 90s, what worked in the 2000s, you know, it's not working today. And I think that that's normal to go through those ebbs and flows and those shifts of how people communicate and what they're expecting and how the industry is demanding that we change and evolve as business owners. Right. So do you primarily work with like larger companies at this point or kind of also the like the solopreneur where you kind of at? I love small companies. Like I just have always had this passion and draw to solo run businesses, entrepreneurs, small businesses. You know, a lot of the companies that I work with are smaller teams. Like if they do have a sales team, they may be doing, you know, a few million dollars a year and their team is like five or six salespeople. That's really where I thrive because you can get into really beautiful environments of small teams with great skill sets and gaps that the team itself can fill. I can help them fill. Um, and then I work with a lot of solopreneurs, people who are just getting into business and are like, listen, I'm an expert. I'm great at what I do, but I'm not getting paid for it. And I want to show up and be, you know, receiving back what I feel the value I'm putting out into the world is. And that's my goal is to help them not only see their value, but articulate it and own it and be paid well for it. Yeah, I love that. Um, I, I, I'd like to cover the you know, something that you really teach, uh, which is this feel good selling. And I really like that, that phrase. It took me a long time to get comfortable with selling and approach it in different ways. And I just kind of like to dive into like the mindset of sales and what it is versus what it isn't. Because I feel like a lot of people think that when we hear the word sales, oftentimes mm -hmm. the, like the first pictures that come into our mind are either like corporate companies, Wolf of Wall Street, you know, gray suits, uh, super sleazy snake oil kind of people, or it's like the brown suit used car dealership of just trying to like separate you from your money. So that's like the picture that naturally comes into our mind because of just what we've seen and what we've experienced in the world. But on the other side of what sales really is, is like it really is like a beautiful way of helping people. So I'd love to kind of hear your your take on what sales is versus what sales isn't. Yes, I love this. And and I think there's so many things that it isn't that people think it is. So I'm going to try to almost zoom in on a couple of the things that you said. Um, the first thing is the simplest way to describe selling to me is it's a one-to-one -one engagement. So a lot of people think selling happens everywhere, but one-to-many selling is really just another way to say marketing, right? And it's not the same thing as having a dialogue or a conversation with one person, sitting with them, being with them, listening to them, practicing real human skills, which are also sales skills, like being able to listen and relate to people and connect to them on a deeper level and figure out what they actually need and what they want. And another thing that you said was, it reminds me of like a Wolf of Wall Street situation, mm -hmm. which I think is really interesting because there is an exercise that I use with clients that is used or referenced in Wolf of Wall Street, which is sell me this pen. You know, I think there is this very interesting sort of dynamic of sales where people learn how to sell one thing really well. Mm. They learn how to sell their offer, but they don't learn how to sell, period. Mm. Like when I say to you, sell me this pen, the majority of people listening, I bet you they're thinking right now, like, okay, the pen is like a nice pen. 
it's writes really well. It's a good color. It stands out, you know, like they're thinking all these things about the features of the pen, which is Mm -hmm. where our mind goes, but people buy on emotion and back it up with logic. They don't buy with logic and back it up with emotion. So when you're selling things, you really need to learn the skills of selling. Like a chef does not learn how to create, you know, beef tenderloin or something. They learn how to cook. They learn how to use ingredients. Those are like the sales skills. And then they're able to apply it to a pen, a car. You know, you mentioned used car salesmen. Same thing is you learn sales skills and then you can sell anything, Mm -hmm. which is why I love teaching sales because I don't teach people how to sell one thing. I teach them how to sell anything Mm. and it sounds very broad, but in actuality, it's not. We, when you learn how to sell something, it's just like going to school and learning how to cook a meal. It's Mm. learning how to use those ingredients in unique ways. And I think at the end of the day, if I were to describe great feel good selling, it's not having an agenda. I think too many people follow this blueprint of like, I've got my checklist. I need to know, can they afford it? Do they live in this place? Do they Mm -hmm. want this thing? And you're sort of like living off of an internalized script or process and you miss the nuances of human conversation. Just like people who are really desperate to find a partner Mm -hmm. will go on dates and be like, okay, I need to make sure they don't have any of the red flags. Like, do, are they this tall? Do they have this eye color? (laughs) Do they have this type of job? And it's like, just be with the person and sit with them. And I think, you know, the perfect example is a used car salesman. I give the example a lot of a woman walks into a car dealership. No, it's not a bad joke. And (laughs) she walks in and there's three kids pulling on her clothes, right? And they're screaming and they're demanding snacks and all the things. And she walks into the car dealership. What do you think the first thing a classic salesperson is going to notice about this woman and pitch her as a vehicle. Like an SUV or something like that, or a minivan? Exactly, an SUV or a minivan. The truth is, this woman I'm giving you an example of is a high net worth nanny who's watching three kids and knows that her friend works in the childcare center of that dealership, and she actually wants a convertible. Mm. And she's about to quit that nanny job and go become an attorney because she's been doing this nanny job to put herself through law school. And the person who walks up to her and says, I have the perfect SUV for you that's going to fit all of your kids in their car seats, she's going to walk right by them. But the person who says, hey, what are you in for today? What are you looking at? And she says, thank you for asking me. I would love a convertible. Okay, great. No judgment, right? Like I'm being with you. I'm asking you questions. I'm getting to the root of what you actually want and need. And I'm ignoring judging a book by its cover. And I'm really just being present in the moment with you, just like the person who goes on a date and says, what are your core values? What do you care about? Mm -hmm. How do you think about family, right? Questions that really matter in terms of finding the right partner. And so you can relate sales to just life in general, and it becomes really simple. And I think we're so inundated with messages that it has to be a certain way People just live in this expectation of a blueprint or a process versus going back to the fact that selling is just being a human. It's just sitting with people. It's just enjoying conversations and making sure that there's a fit there. Yeah. Yeah. It, the, 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 I love that story and the analogy. And it's it's so good because what I get from it is like a bad salesman or a inexperienced salesman will say, would say, or they would just assume where yeah. as the experienced salesman would come up 
approach it just as a brand new conversation and have curiosity of like, what brings you in today? And the, I think the curiosity piece, just to keep it as simple as possible, is the most important part. Exactly. And one layer beyond that is the power of observation, mm -hmm. not assumption. So when that woman walks in and you see three kids pulling at her and demanding snacks and you have a childcare center, first thing I would do as a salesperson is be like, hey, I'm about to ask you what you're looking for in terms of a car today. But before we even get there, let me walk you back to the child care center. We'll get these kids set up with some snacks. We'll put on the TV in their favorite show, get them settled in. And then I'll make a list of a couple of vehicles that will fit you. And it looks like you're kind of crunched for time. So I'll pull three vehicles. So as you start test driving them, we can get them back to back so you can make a decision quicker. How does that sound? Mm. And that person's like, oh my gosh, it's I like they're you. reading my mind. Like, <laughs> right. this is amazing, right? And I think that there's a lot to be gleaned from all the different industries out there and how they sell. And there's different dynamics to each one. But something I also really love about the automobile industry and selling vehicles is that they have a unique skill set in they take the keys and they put them in your hand and they have you test drive a car. They have you get inside of it, yeah. which is another kind of sales tip for people listening is allow people to experience it and visualize this is what it feels like to drive this vehicle, mm -hmm. not just talking about it, but really allowing them in. And I hear a lot of times, especially in the service industry, you know, people need to experience what I offer, but it's so hard to experience because I have to do certain things. There's always a way. So look yeah. for the way that you can put the keys in their hand and let them test drive the vehicle. Like so much good goodness coming out of the sales conversations from car dealerships. So I love that you brought that up as an example. Yeah. And to dovetail off of that, um, something I learned from Ramit Sethi is the, the use yeah. of quick wins. That's what he talks about. For example, if you have a lead magnet, a lot of people just throw together a lead magnet and it's, it's nothing great, you know, yes. and that's why it doesn't convert well. It's not what they actually want. So like great online business, especially when you're getting into like automations and email sequences or sales pages and digital products. Like I built six digital products before I ever made one that sold hands off, like passively multiple yeah. times. And I was like, oh my God, this is working. Like it's, it's a legit like passive income, semi-passive. I still had to create content and drive traffic and all that. But yeah. um, the difference, like the key difference between the six that didn't work and the one that did from there on was that I did really in-depth customer research. And I asked people, I'm thinking about building a product about this. What are you struggling with? I have two product ideas right now. And I just emailed my list and I was like, I'd love your feedback. And I just said like, I'm thinking about building a new product in the near future, which I am. And I'm debating between these two, which one do you think is more enticing to you? Which one do you think you would like more? It's going to be priced right around this, at least in the beginning. Yeah. You know, I just asked him, it was a really short email, send it out. And then the next day when it got scheduled, uh, I was getting a bunch of emails back from my list being like, number two, number two, number two. Someone said number one, but I'm like, sorry, you know, number two is clearly the winner. So I'm not yeah. guessing what I'm trying to like build and buy, you know, but like going back to a lead magnet, like this is just one example. When you build a lead magnet, a great way to think about it, and I just love keeping things simple, and I learned this from Ramit, is to ask the question, what is a persistent problem that my audience faces? Now can I quickly solve it with a short PDF or video? That's it. So it's persistent problem, short solution. And it's a quick win where it gets them that win fast. And then even in your email sequences, like the first few emails in a five day sequence should be teaching, 
and, you know, telling stories and that sort of stuff. It could be a video or written, but as long as they're getting them a quick win and the, the person's starting to feel like they're building momentum, that's awesome. You know, and that's kind of like test driving. It's like, you can share stories and experiences of transformation and get ahas and like, wow, this is so different. And then you give them a little strategy and one thing to work on. And then they do it, you know, and make it like simple and easy for them. And I think that that is the best way that we as like knowledge creators can help people quote unquote test drive the car. Yeah, a hundred percent. There were a couple of really amazing things that you said there. One of which is you did something that I call validating an offer, right? And I do that with all of my offers. I always put out there, not just to my existing audience, which I know is going to be responsive, but also popping into forums online and, you know, go to Quora, go to Reddit, go to Pinterest, go to Facebook groups, ask the questions. If I put together an offer, like this is what I do. I'm thinking of putting together an offer. These are the details. What are your thoughts? And this automatically has all the qualified buyers raising their hands saying, when it's ready, let me know, right? They're telling you they want it. So it's a great way to validate your offer and pre-sell it at the same time. Another thing that you said is this idea of momentum for the quick win. I think what people get really fixated on when it comes to lead magnets is extremes. They have one side of the extreme, which is, I just want something to capture email. I don't really care what it is or what it does. So they usually put it together. A lot of lead magnets I see sound like a blog title, like five quick ways to cook dinner for a family of four. And it's, you can Google that and find 9,000 people who just did a blog about it yesterday. Like Mm -hmm. that's not unique to you. And it feels like information that's readily available anywhere. So while it might be an easy lead magnet to create, is the low hanging fruit really the best fruit that you want? Sometimes it is, right? Sometimes we know this is what people are searching for and it's a great idea. Other times it's like, well, it might be easy to create, but what if it's 20% harder to create but 90% more effective. Mm -hmm. Let's take the extra hour and brainstorm, right? Let's figure out that best pathway. And then in terms of the quick win and the momentum, I think the other side of that extreme is that people feel like they need to prove themselves. And their idea of a quick win is like solving the thing that their offer, their core offer actually solves for in a lead magnet. So they give away these 40 page workbooks and video sequences and all this stuff. And they overwhelm people thinking I've got to prove to them that I can solve all their problems. And it's like, you really don't even need to solve a problem. That's not necessarily the quick win you're going for. Sometimes the quick win is realizing that they're capable of solving their problem. Mm -hmm. Sometimes the quick win is something really simple, like making a decision that's been hard to make for a long time. So the example of like a marriage therapist, she might go in and she's not going to say, I'm going to solve your codependency issues with this one quick lead magnet. What she's going to say is, I'm going to show you how empowered you are to live independently, or I'm going to teach you how to make a decision as to whether or not you want to pursue a relationship with your partner or maybe go it alone. Mm -hmm. And that's going to spark someone, the person who says, I want to stay with my partner, they might be put on a track to go sign up for some codependency counseling. And the person who says, I want to split up, might be on the track to learn how to live independently. Mm -hmm. And those are the keys to really good lead magnets is thinking about these pathways. And another thing that people call them is funnels, right? And so we create these funnels and we design these things 
And we want to keep it simple. We want to give people just those quick ahas, which doesn't always have to be a tangible right now, everything is solved for you. The problem is overcome type of win. Yeah. I like the, uh, I forgot who it's by, but Russell Brunson would use this example all the time. And it was, um, this like double your dating is what it was. Um, and his like lead magnet thing was called the kiss test. And basically what it was, it was for guys to see when a woman, if she like is ready to kiss you on like a date. Mm. And that's what the kiss test was. And all the copy was pretty much selling like learn the kiss test. And when you opt in, it goes straight to a page. That's a one page, really short thing. And it's like, okay, here's the kiss test. And it tells you, and it was like, if you are there dropping her off at her house, she's looking at you. And then, uh, you, what was it? It I read this so long ago. It was like, you, uh, you like put your hand up or you lean in a little bit. And then if she leans in towards you just like a little bit, then she wants to kiss. It was something like that, but it was just like a really movie hitch. The movie yeah. Hitch when he says, I go 90, you go 10. And he's leaning in and like, if she's yeah. fiddling with her keys, she wants to kiss you. Like there's all these cues. Yeah, it's just like some like cue thing like that. And it's just really simple. And then you read it and you're like, oh, wow. And it's something that you could theoretically use like that night if you were going yeah. on a date and just like, okay, I'm going to try it, you know? And then it works and you're like, oh my gosh, this person just helped me. But it's interesting what you said about like a lot of people, they, they package so much and it's too much where they're giving like the 40 page thing and it takes forever to build and all this stuff. And that's like what your course is or your program is, which is solving a big problem. But to solve that big problem, there's a bunch of mini problems that we need to solve along the way. And I think the lead magnet is just one of those like mini problems, like the guy with the kiss test. The kiss test is just kissing someone for the first time, which starts a whole relationship and opportunity that you can have with this person to, you know, just date long-term, build a life together, have kids. Like there's a lot of other stuff. And that's the grand scheme of things is maybe it's like the product is to have a really fulfilling relationship long-term, but you're just giving them that win of like, here's how you get your first kiss. You know, it's like the small problem that they're facing, you know, and then down the road, your product solves the big problem. It's also great to think about that in terms of your actual offer. So I teach people as well as sales, you know, what leads into sales is having an irresistible offer that's easy to sell that, you know, we say air quotes like sells itself, right? We want something that's really easy to talk about, really easy to sell. People come up to you and say, oh my gosh, how do I get that thing? Right. And that is such a great way to look at it. It starts with the lead magnet, but it also goes into the offer even a 40 page workbook and you know 10 videos might be too much for a paid offer. So we think about, you know, cuz you said Russell Brunson, he's like the king of ascension, right? So it's like how do we move them up the ascension ladder? How do we create one offer that gets them that win like now they know if someone wants to kiss them. Someone kisses them, how do they take that relationship into a formalized like we're boyfriend, girlfriend, or girlfriend, girlfriend, or boyfriend, boyfriend, or mm-hmm. whatever, right? And then how do we take that to committed relationship? And then how do we take that to committed partnership, long-term, like marriage, deciding what you want to do there? And so your skill set might lend itself to creating thriving long-term relationships, but that doesn't mean your offer has to cover everything underneath that umbrella in the first purchase. And so the lead magnet is actually a really beautiful way to learn how to synthesize information, how to decompartmentalize all the aspects of what you can do for people and break it down into like quick doable containers that you can package and price and name accordingly. So people are 
excited to be on that journey with you from step one to step whatever they need. And some people are going to be really good with relationships. Like they know how to be in a partnership. They just don't know how to find that partner. Mm -hmm. And other people are going to suck at all of it. And they're going to need help with every part of it. And some people really just need help with the back end stuff. So they don't really want your kiss test, but they really want to learn how to create these thriving, sustainable, long-term commitments and work on some of those things. And you can help people at all areas of that cycle. Yeah, absolutely. It is so important too, when you get into like automations and everything, like I think most people would be like, I would love to make passive income. Like that would be amazing, you know? And it's, it's really cool when you're able to like dial it in and actually make money like while you sleep. I remember when I first opened my computer and saw $200, like I've yeah. done $10,000 deals and, and I was just like, that is so cool. Like that is cooler than anything. And I'd never met yeah. the person before, you know, and then I got like a $300 sale and so on. I was just like, well, this is amazing. Um, but it's so important to do all the stuff that we're talking about, about understanding your audience, because on a sales call, you can ask me questions and I can ask you questions. And it's like, if I'm curious about something, I can dig a little bit or I can back up, you know, it's very fluid. And yeah. with a, with a funnel or a system, you have to really have your ducks in a row and really understand your, your person or your people, because if you don't like, you're not going to communicate the right message to them. So it's, yeah. that's why I'm, I'm obsessed with like always studying my audience and learning from people and the challenges and the roadblocks and things that come up along the way. Um, and I think it's so important just to like, like I always recommend to make a big document where you have like the challenges, pains and frustrations and just like copy and paste. When I read Reddit or I have conversations or I look in YouTube comments, I copy and paste them into the challenges. When people are talking about their dreams and the things they want to achieve, I have a section for that. And then obstacles, barriers and uncertainties or objections. I put any sort of objections that come up inside of there. And then when I'm writing copy, email sequences, building lead magnets, the creating content, whatever, if I'm stuck, I just look at that and then I can scroll through and be like, I'm really trying to like paint the dream here. And then I can look down right in the hopes, dreams and desires and I copy and paste it into my, you know, sales page or into my uh, yes. email sequences. Yeah. So good. I love that. You know, I, I think that it's really important to have a process for yourself less than you have a process for when you're with other people, right? Like it, if you do that work one time, I'm just going to guess and say, I'm going to make an educated guess and say, you created that document one time and it probably took you five hours or something to like sit down, decide how you wanted to map everything out, do it the first time. Second time, maybe it took you three hours to fill it out because the templates are already built. You know what you're doing, mm -hmm. kind of want it. And by the time you, as you create more offers, you're like, Oh yeah, I'm already thinking about these things. So as you're filling it out, it becomes quicker and easier. And that's how people really create scalable business models is mm -hmm. it's doing that hard work. One time I call it the slingshot effect. Like mm -hmm. you've got to pull back and get uncomfortable, do some of the work that takes hours. It feels like a bit of a slog. Everything's uncertain. You're kind of, you know, going through it, kind of wading through the mud a little bit. You're getting mm -hmm. stuck in a few areas and you're like, oh, this is harder than I wanted it to be, or it's taking too long or all these thoughts. And then by the time you've done it four or five times, you're like, oh my gosh, I have an idea for a passive offer. Boom. You know, I call them semi-passive offers because to your point right. earlier, you constantly have to be like tweaking and adjusting, but you kind of get into this flow where you're just, oh yeah, I just do it the same way every time. And then it becomes, this is why so many people are successful at helping people create semi-passive offers because 
once you figure out a system for your own self to do that, and then you give it to someone else, again, that slingshot still has to be pulled back. It's still tight. It's still a learning curve, but it's less so because that template is already created, which is the biggest pullback. Mm -hmm. So you've got like one step ahead and it's a little less tension on the rope. And then you sort of let it go and you can create that over and over again. And and it becomes a really helpful tool. Like you said, as you're outlining your landing page and now you have a framework and you know how to set it up. So everything's sort of plug and play. Yeah. Something I learned like definitely from Ramit was like, cause I took a copywriting course from him and you know, when you see a sales page, it's like, how am I going to write something like that? Some of these things are like 20 pages long, like how, but when you break it up into little chunks, you realize that it's not as overwhelming. It still takes time, you know, like yeah. a slingshot, like you said, but it, everything starts with an outline. And he taught me that and he was like teaching with outlines. He's like, surprise, we're going to make an outline. So now I started doing that with my clients and I have like loom videos when I'm communicating, if I'm reading through an email or something, I record on yeah. loom, I give them live feedback and uh, people love that with their copy and everything and they learn a ton. And I yeah. use uh, like Voxer and everything, but when I, like people are surprised when, when they work with me because I literally have an outline for everything. And yes. they're like, oh man, like we just finished building the product. And they're like, wait, now we have to do like the email sequences. I'm like, don't worry. And I send them the outline and they're just like, oh wow, okay, <laughs> shocker. And they're like, oh wait, yeah. now we gotta build a sales page. I'm like, don't worry, send them the outline. <laughs> and it's just like fully set up. It's like, just plug them in and then we're gonna clean it all up and stuff, but get the main points. And it makes yeah. things so much faster. And yeah, it took me a long time to build those different outlines and templates and everything. I'm still building them and refining them and making them better. But like you said, it doesn't take as much pullback now. Of course. Yeah. I create something called process documents and it's very similar. Like I outline everything. I record a video that walks people through the process. It has step one, step two, step three. Everything is copy paste. Everything is templated. And that's not to say that I don't veer off the path of the process sometimes. Mm -hmm. Like Sometimes I'll look at it and be like, oh, I don't want to do that part anymore. I'm going to change the process. Or, you know, I got feedback from an assistant that I onboarded having gone through the process who's like, well, this part's a little confusing. I think it would be clearer if it said this, or I've been doing this in addition to what you sent and it's been working really well. Okay, great. Let's add it to the process document. So Mm -hmm. as much as people love a blueprint, there's the recognition that there's fluidity to it. Like some landing pages don't always need 20 scrolls of copy to be effective. And, you know, some of them really want to agitate the problem and some of them really want to focus on the outcome more. And so it's deciding, you know, do you have a more negative value proposition or a more positive skewed value proposition? What feels more on brand for you? But building from that template is going to help you make those decisions a lot quicker too. And then as you go through that whole page layout, you're like, oh yeah, that fits me. That doesn't fit me. I would talk about it this way instead of that way. And that's where that customization really comes into play. So the best blueprints are actually, in my mind, a framework instead, because if you mess up the blueprint, the whole thing could fall apart. But if it's just a framework and you're like, yeah, you can plug and play any parts of this and have it work together, then it feels a lot more agile and it feels like it fits you better. And the same thing with sales. If you have a process that feels good to you, then you can mix and match and plug and play. And as long as you have those core skills and an understanding of what you need, you can make it however you want it to feel to feel the best for you. Yeah, I really like that. And it is true. Like, I mean, a lot of times, even with my outlines and frameworks that I have with clients, like we change things up and it's okay. Yeah. And I, I encourage them to, because like, like you said, it has to, 
be, it has to fit you and feel right to you. But there are certain things where it's like, these are important ingredients that you're going to want to have. You're going to want to include, you know, but you can add things, you can take things away. It's all good. Um, Justine, I'd love to ask you based on your career, you've been doing sales for quite some time. What do you wish someone would have told you early on? Oh, so many things. I feel like a lot of what I've learned has been more practical, like on the ground experience, which in all areas of my life, you know, having a long-term partnership and commitment to my husband and learning how to navigate that relationship, learning how to build a company that feels good to me and messing it up along the way. Like Mm -hmm. we can read as many things as we want to, and we can listen to amazing podcasts like this one. And we can do some of that like passive research, but there is no replacement for like getting out there and actually doing the work. And I think a lot of people hide behind productivity because it feels good. It feels good to, you know, build a landing page. It feels good to create 75 lead magnets that you're excited about. You know, like we can spend a lot of time dreaming and we only are going to get that real experience and that real feedback and that, you know, that sense of achievement when we do the thing. So I was having a conversation with someone earlier today who bought one of my semi-passive offers and she's like, I'm having a lot of trouble with this workbook where you're asking me about my ideal clients. I'm realizing I don't actually know what my ideal client wants. Mm. And I said in response, you know, the best cure for that is to go talk to some of them, go get out there and do that work of meeting them and going on forums and chatting with people and like doing some of that work to understand what they want instead of making those assumptions. And while you do that, you can also use your dreaming side to really think about what you hope for them right? Because that can bridge a gap as well is like, so you're starting off and maybe you're creating, I don't know, a copywriting business as an example. Mm -hmm. So you start that copywriting business and you think like, I don't really know what people struggle with. Is it high conversion copy? Is it understanding how to articulate their message? Is it resonating with their ideal customers? Like, where's the thing? And so when you think about what you bring to the table, what am I really good at when it comes to copy? Why do I enjoy writing copy? Well, I love making the process of writing copy really easy and simple for people to get. Okay, good. Start there. It might not be what your ideal client wants, but they'll be attracted to your process, what's unique about you. And at least you're starting off with something that feels a little more unique. Right. And then as you start to work with people, you'll start to realize, like, I want this for them. And also, that's not really what they're buying. It's a little more feature driven. But I think a lot of people are now coming to me because they love the idea that they can triple sales from their website. And that's a result that I've been able to achieve with the past 20 clients. Okay, great. Now your message shifts a little bit, becomes a little bit more benefits oriented. It becomes a little bit more of what they want to hear. But we all have to start somewhere. So don't let your I'd have never done that before. I feel like an imposter. Everything feels new and hard and all of that. Stop you from actually getting out and doing the thing so you can see how far am I falling away from the finish line that I'm looking to get to? Because I think in our minds, it's really easy to be like, yeah, the finish line is so far away, but you actually might be able to like sprint three quarters of the way with what you know right now. 
and see that finish line a lot closer than you thought it was. And some of us think in our head that we're already right there, like to give another sports analogy, like we're at the 10 yard line, right? And it's the end of the game and, you know, we're on the fourth down and this is our last chance and we feel like we're right there and we're actually on the 50 yard line. Mm. And there's no way we're going to bridge that gap by doing what we have been doing. So to get out there and put yourself on the field and do the work, you'll have a much clearer understanding of how far you need to go and what you need to do to get there. Yeah, I love that. And it's so true. I wish that I took more imperfect action early on. That's what I wish. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, people told me that, but I wish I just did it, you know, because that's, yeah. yeah. People were like, just take imperfect action. That was one of the first things I heard in my coaching institute when I was getting certified and all that sort of stuff. And um, I just didn't do enough of it. So if I could go back, it would just nudge me to like, do more, <laughs> try just more curious, stuff. Like, knowing that you heard it over and over, why didn't you, do you think? Uh, well, I mean, I had, for me personally, I had like a ton of, I just had like a really rough childhood and that embedded a lot of disbelief inside of my own abilities, but also I didn't surround myself with a lot of people on the same level. I did when I was at my coaching institute and I always felt like such a fire in my belly when I was there because I was in the environment and I had friends and I'd stay in touch with some of them. But for the most part, when I'm back home, I'm like, I feel like I'm just like a lone soldier out in the battlefield by myself, you know? And uh, I didn't, I had people who didn't believe in me, people who doubted me. And then that started to, I feel cloud my vision. It was like only me. And yeah. um, I think that that was probably the biggest thing. And it took me a lot of practice to just build resilience and to encourage myself to continue, to continue on. And, you know, I would talk with people and stuff like that, but I think having, you know, if you can get like a friend, at least, or find some sort of community near you where you have like-minded people who are on a similar path. At least like if you're trying to be an entrepreneur, you can find friends who also have that entrepreneurial spirit, even if they're doing like real estate, which still takes an entrepreneurial spirit, you know, because yeah. they have to like do their, they have to make themselves basically. You know, but if you can find those people that have that sort of drive that you need to carry on because you're not staying with the status quo. Like you, a lot of people, and for me too, it was like I was in, construction work and I show up to the job and they're like, here's what you're going to do for the day. And that's what people do is they, they go to a job and then they become an entrepreneur, but in their job, they're being told, here's what you do, try and get it done by this time. Or if you don't get it done, you're going to continue doing this project or whatever. But like, you're kind of like a robot. Like, it's just like, show up, do your job, go home, take it off. Really simple life. You can just keep doing that. But nine times out of 10, people just like not happy with it. Maybe seven times out of 10. A lot of people are not happy with that. But then you become an entrepreneur and now you have to wear a CEO hat and you have to wear an entrepreneur hat or like the uh, employee hat, I mean. And um, that alone takes a lot of practice and a lot of skills and resilience and learning, you know? So if, I think if you could just have someone else, at least one person or even a group of people that are on that same kind of path, you guys can encourage each other and share things that you learned and ideally keep them in close proximity. Cause like I said, I had friends, but they lived in other states or countries and I would hop on calls and stuff like that. But if you can have like friends that you can actually meet up with in person, that's something that I wish I had earlier on. I think that would have made a big difference. Yeah, that's so great. And what I hear is that you decided to be an advocate for yourself too. Like mm -hmm. you saw what you needed and you went out and got it and made that a reality. And I think, you know, there was a mastermind I was a part of maybe a year and a half ago. And in this group, we were given this massive challenge and 
what they said was stop looking for one person to be all the things you need. Go find 10 people who can be a 10th of what you need. So if you need, if you have a friend who's really good at like sending you reminders, like we all have that friend who's like, it's Jenny's birthday next week. Don't forget to text her, (laughs) right? Like that's your person who's going to hold you accountable to those reminders. And then you have somebody who's just a really positive person who's just going to lift you up and you say to them, hey, can you send me a text every Wednesday at 7 a.m.? Just like set a reminder on your phone that says, you're amazing. Go crush your day. That's all I need from you. Just do that. And then you've got another person who does something else. And you've got like this collection of people who they might not be your ideal accountability partner. They might not even be in the industry. They might not be able to support you in all the ways. But if you can just find these little pathways of like, what are the people in my circle really good at? And how do I leverage that to start advocating for myself? And I think too many of us think that we're going to be a burden by asking for support in that way, like, hey, for the next two months, I really need you to text me every Wednesday at 7 a.m. Hmm. That feels like a big ask, right? right? It's like something that you're putting them out or whatever. But usually when you ask, they're like, oh my gosh, yes. And I've actually done that for people. I've set an alarm on my phone and had a pre-done text that I sent off and I would like tweak it and I would send it to this person that was up for a really big goal. And I was like, hey, listen, you're amazing. You're going to crush your day today. And it made such a difference. So I love that you kind of noticed that that was a gap and then filled it. And I think we all have the ability to do that. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of it too, is just like learning how to manage myself as well, you know, which I did quite a bit. And, um, I still look for, you know, friends and communities and a lot of friends that I make, they end up moving to a different state or something. And I'm like, I'm back to square one, <laughs> like instead of people in my general area, but like, I still stay in touch yeah. with all those friends and stuff, but I, I had to learn a lot just how to like manage myself, which is why I was in life coaching after construction. I got into performance and productivity. And a lot of it was just me learning how to do that stuff. And then I was helping other people how to like manage oneself. Uh, and that's what got me into all that pro- productivity and everything, keeping things super streamlined on my computer. And then in the effort of growing my business and decreasing my work hours, that's where I found out about digital products and semi passive income. Yeah. And, uh, that's where I was like, I want to figure this out. And then working with my productivity clients, when it started working, they're like, can you help me with that? I'm like, sure, <laughs> I guess it's productivity. Right. And then now I'm teaching this sort of stuff. So that was like the yeah. evolution over time. But yeah, something you said about just like doing it, there's a great proverb and I don't know exactly the roots of it, but, uh, I read it in a book and it, it's always stuck with me. It says the work will teach you how to do it. So mm. we can spend all the time trying to figure out how do I going to do this game plan, write out spreadsheets and whatever of like, this is the perfect plan. And it's like, just make a five step outline or three steps of like, if I do these three things just to get going, I'll be good. And then just get going. And then you figure out like, Oh, that didn't work. Or, Ooh, maybe I could try this, you know, when you're doing it and then you try that and you're like, I actually didn't really work. And you're just fine tuning and you're figuring out how to do it along the way. Yeah. A hundred percent. I tell people all the time when they say I need to create a business plan. That's like something that a lot of newer entrepreneurs are just like, I don't know. They're just so in love with this idea of creating a business plan. And, and I say to them, are you looking for funding? And they're like, what do you mean? You don't really need a formal business plan if you're not looking for funding. And they're like, well, what am I supposed to do? I need to plan for my business. And I'm like, yeah, okay. So I'm going to give you another quick analogy. I'm a mom of two children and I have multiple autoimmune illnesses. So 
I created this beautiful birth plan. I'm a planner. Like I created this beautiful birth plan for my kids and I went in there and none of it happened. Right. And that's how it usually works is we spend hours and hours building out these plans and we either never look at them again, nothing happens on them or something happens and it's not the way we thought it was going to be. And then we have to rework the plan. So what I usually do is just say, just define a couple of quick things. Like, what are you selling? What is a cost? What are the core benefits, the core features? What's different about it? How are you maybe ascending or descending from that offer? So what's something you can have a lead magnet go into that core offer or maybe bring someone to the next level who's already completed it? And then what's your unique sort of IP around it? Like, do you have a signature process or do you have a framework that you follow or is there something really special about your brand in particular like maybe and I was talking to someone the other day whose unique differentiator was actually her style like she has these really bold glasses and really fun colors of her outfits that she wears and I'm like yeah that's what you're known for so like bring that into your branding bring that into you know your tone of voice and how you communicate your offer because people are going to be repelled by that Some people really want like highly professional branding Mm -hmm. that's super like kind of one one note. And then other people are really going to love like the vibrant colors and your boisterous personality and how you get in their face and you keep it real. Like that's super unique and interesting to your brand. And so Mm -hmm. you find out these couple of things and then it's just like, okay, you know what you offer now get out there and go share it with people and see what the feedback is. And sometimes even those details will change. Sometimes, you know, maybe if it's your personal style that might evolve over time, but in the longer term, but maybe your offer is priced a little too high or a little too low. And you notice that, you know, it's not selling as much as I thought it would like you with your first, however many semi-passive offers, like Mm -hmm. you started off creating a handful of them that just kind of didn't do what you thought they were going to do. And then you landed on the one that did. And having that sort of one page document, even doing it in Google Docs, that way you can change it, you can track it. And then seeing over time, I started here. This is why I feel like it didn't work. This is what I want to change about it. It's really able to be optimized quicker. And it doesn't take you hours to do. It takes you minutes to do. Mm -hmm. You can write pretty much all of that up from your brain or at least hypothesize something and get out there and take that copy and do what we talked about earlier and go validate and pre-sell it in a group or with your audience or even with friends and family. Is this something that you would need? And I think people overlook also their their existing network and sphere. Like mm-hmm. a lot of people I know have services that their friends and family could really benefit from. And a lot of it's born from conversations with people who live close to them or that they have relationships with. And they go, yeah, this is a huge problem in my community. And then they think, but I don't want to, you know, mess with the people in my sphere. I want to bring it out to more people. But that's your perfect test audience is you start there And you say, you know, if you're doing wellness coaching or real estate or things like that, it's really getting kind of comfortable talking about what you do with those people, getting some feedback. And even if they're not the right fit, people will be honest and you'll be able to build that muscle of discerning. Are they not a fit because of my offer or are they not a fit because of who they are or a boundary or a price point or something else? And how can I kind of move and shift to make it feel better and to make it work better because usually our first offers are not the thing that we end up selling long-term. And I think almost every business owner I've met has pivoted more than once. 
Uh, yeah, I have many times. And if you actually yeah. look at my podcast from like way back episode one and just said today, you can see the progression from when I was teaching yes. the life coach stuff to like productivity and going on uh, to teaching this stuff and all of it's on there. It's just like the big backlog, which is pretty cool. Um, yeah. So, okay, we're going to start wrapping it up here. Justine, uh, where can people connect with you? Where can they learn more about what you're doing in the world, et cetera? Yeah. So my website is just my name, justinebeauregard.com. It's B-E-A-U-R-E-G-A-R-D. And my Instagram, LinkedIn, Facebook are all at Justine Beauregard Coach. And if you want to connect with me personally on LinkedIn, that's Justine J. Beauregard on LinkedIn. Right on. We'll put links down in the description as per usual. For the listener, I know we covered a lot today. Um, if there's one thing that's just kind of sticking out into your brain of like that thing really stuck with me and you're still thinking about it, it's probably for a good reason. You should probably go use it and go do something with it. And like we were talking about, just actions are only superpower, implementation. So just go try stuff related to it, you know, and just give it a shot. And like we said earlier, the work will teach you how to do it. People get so fixated inside of their brain of like, it should be this way, or I'm afraid that it's going to turn out this way. And that's just limiting beliefs that just keep you stuck. When the real reality is you got to just get out there and start doing it. Obviously, it's good to not just shoot completely from the hip, have somewhat of a structure, uh, which is where you can dive into Justine, or you can always check out you know my website if you need some sort of format or structure and just find a business model that makes sense to you and be like, that's kind of what I want to do because they work, you know, it's just not all of them are best for you. And then just get out there and start making things happen, you know, create your own opportunity. But yeah, get out there, make something happen. And we'll see you in the next one.